Welcome to the Fromer Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Pauline Fromer, and as always, it's a pleasure and a privilege to be here with you today to help me discuss all the news that's fit to print in the travel world, at least. We have Jason Cochran. Jason is the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. Hey, Jason, well, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. Thanks. How you doing? I'm doing great. Good. So I think my favorite article this week was one on etiquette at nude beaches and resorts. Is that your so favorite I gotta this week? Ask you, of all Jason. the stuff we covered, huh? I'm- <laughs> well, it has a high prurience factor, I guess, that attracts me. Yeah. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you, have you ever been? To Never. a nude beach. I am Never. not terribly interested in getting naked in front of strangers in the sunlight. What's this? There's a Willie Russell play, Shirley Valentine, where the idea of nude sunbathing or something comes up. She said, I'll be arrested for bringing the human form into disrepute. So that's sort of how I feel. I, I, I don't go on vacation to, to show people my, my nitty noddle things. So what do you think? Do you think I ever have? I What's think you guess? probably have. You're an adventurous sort. I have, yeah. actually. I went to the 50th anniversary of Esalen, which is this fabulous intentional community with an educational bent that's on the coast of California. Believe it or not, when it first opened, Hunter S. Thompson was hired to be the security guard there, which I think tells you a little bit about Esalen. <laughs> And, and also so about Hunter S. Thompson, I suppose. <laughs> I, well, it's a surprise. Yeah. Can you imagine him guarding it's, it's anything? It's one of the, the actually the most normal things I think he did as a security <laughs> guard. Yeah, <clears throat> probably. Yeah. Um, so Esalen is a place where you learn about many things. Uh, people go there to learn about spirituality or to learn to write better. Uh, they have spiritual dancing classes. There's a lot of emphasis on mindfulness, and they get naked. And so I thought, what the heck? When I was covering it, I did. I, actually, my husband was with me. And both of us assumed when we went there that the bodies would be like the ones you described Shirley Valentine describing, that, that we would be surrounded by a lot of bodies that you that might remind you more of What's, of the end of life and the beginning of life. How do been, I say Bodies that have been newly liberated from clothing. <laughs> right. But I don't know if it was just the luck of the draw. We were surrounded by beautiful bodies. It, it really felt another reason like, I don't want to go because I don't want the comparison. <laughs> well, it was fascinating, though. It, it almost felt like being among moving sculptures in a certain way, because you just don't see that many people naked, especially in the sunlight. And it, I don't know, different types of body hair and different types of anatomy. See, that- now, already, you've already broken one of the rules that we talk about in the article, because you're not really supposed to look. There's, I know. They want you to pretend that you're did. not looking, I guess, is really the, the crux of it. But right. don't stare. But that kind of – everyone does it because they want to see each other or because they want to feel free, I suppose. But you're really not supposed to look like you're looking. Right. Well, I tried not to look like I was looking. But yeah, I looked. It was fascinating. So anyway. So yes. So the etiquette is don't ogle anybody. Uh, don't leer. The most interesting etiquette that I learned from our article that I'm embarrassed to say I didn't realize when I was at Esalen is you are supposed to take a towel 
everywhere. And can you say why, Jason? Well, it's essentially for sanitary reasons. So if you want to sit on anything uh, and you don't have a swimsuit on to, as you know, put present a barrier between your posterior and the chair, you'll need a towel. So it's it's basically yeah. for the for the protection of everyone else. <laughs> Yeah. So that was part of the etiquette. The other parts were, you know, you don't take photographs, which makes a lot, of, makes sense. A lot of sense. You don't engage in lewd or lascivious behavior, which also makes sense. You're not allowed to do that anywhere, pretty now, much. People who aren't naturists assumed that, I think, a lot of people who don't do this assume it is lewd and lascivious behavior. So it's going to surprise some people who have never gone to a nude beach that it's not about hanky-panky. It's, it's about freedom and, you know, sun on every part of you. So it'll be news to some people that it's not about sex. Right, right. But it's but it's a good article and it, it has a nice sense of humor to it. As did last week's Jellyfish article, which was by Zach Thompson, who's having computer problems, so he couldn't join us today. But he wrote the most hilarious article about uh, what to do if you're stung by a jellyfish and how to avoid being stung by a jellyfish, which is not at all a funny topic. But he made it funny, but but also informative. I should say it's not just a humor article. It, he did he did a great job. These are the travel um, questions that people are afraid to answer. You know, what do I do if I go to a nude beach? Should and I'm stung, I wee, but stung by a jellyfish? Um, yeah, you're supposed to wee beach. on it or not, and you're not supposed to wee on it. It turns out, Friends, yeah. that episode of Friends, steered us wrong. Yes, exactly. So you also wrote a, an article that I think is going to be very helpful to travelers, and that is for people who want to go to Hawaii. Uh, they've just changed their rules once again. What do people need to know, Jason? Well, they're about to change the rules. They're, 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 oh. The governor signed an order. He wants to make it easier for people who have can prove they have been vaccinated to get into the country. If you don't know what's been going on in Hawaii, they've been very super careful about COVID because if their hospitals fill up, it's super hard for them to send you know people to across the ocean to other hospitals. There are no backups. So they've been super careful to, to sort of try to keep a lid on COVID as much as possible, which has meant testing people. You know, you have to present a test at the airport before you go. And if you can't test out, you have to quarantine. Uh, and it's been a very rigorous rule there. In fact, so much so that in 2020, for a great deal of the year, if you were caught outside of your quarantine, you could be arrested and sent out of state again. So they're very serious about it. Now that the vaccines are here, they're finding ways, okay, how can we invite people who now have this protection? How can we make this a thing so that we can keep track of what they've done uh, at the airport? And when they come on in, they don't have to quarantine. That's what they're doing now. They're figuring out basically how they can create this digital platform where you can upload your proof of vaccination, gets you out of quarantine so that the people in Hawaii don't worry that their hospitals will be overwhelmed. Right, right. Yeah, well, it makes sense. It's going to be interesting to see how Hawaii returns to tourism beyond vaccines. Because like many destinations, the locals who not secretly have felt overwhelmed for years by the volume of travel to Hawaii seem to now be pushing back a bit uh, on visitors. They're, they're, they're putting in new rules, for example, of about tours going to places that are private. And you have some protests going on on the beaches uh, with, you know, people sitting in beach chairs saying with signs that say this is for her Hawaiian residents only. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's some antagonism brewing, but it has more to do with, you know, what the locals are or aren't doing to balance better between visitors and locals. So 
if they can sort out the balance between how much space do tourists get and how much space do locals get, that will hopefully simmer. But at the moment, tourists coming back kind of aren't 100% welcome in all parts of Hawaii at the moment. It's about the balance, but it's also about respect for the local culture. I think a lot of Hawaiians feel that uh, people from the mainland come just for their beaches and they want to be seen more as a as destination with a very unique Pacific Island culture that should be respected. And uh, I think that's a harder ask. And that's also cultural culturally happening in Hawaii right now. Anyway, I think a lot of people who live in Hawaii are embracing that culture and that history a lot more than they really thought about more even like 30 years ago. So it's, it's not, it's not just about respect for tourists or disrespect for tourists, but also just about coming to an identity as a state and claiming it in ways that they really haven't kind of had the space to do in a long time. Uh, It's very interesting to see them sort of find themselves in a, and say, no, this is who we're going to be in the future. We're an American state, but we also have our own distinct history and culture. And language. And And language. language. yeah. Yeah. So it'll be um, fun to see how it happens and how it how it turns out. You know, this is we talked about this uh, a podcast ago. A lot of places, having not had tourists for a while, are deciding how they'd like the tourists to return. What are the new terms? I think a lot of us agree that some aspects of life just really weren't working before the pandemic. We don't want to put them back exactly the way they were. And I think that's what Hawaii is going through. How do we want tourism to work going forward in a way that will make all of us happy and help us all? Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how it all plays out. There was another also very surprising development. A a, a new airline called Avello has debuted. They are basing themselves in at Hollywood Burbank Airport in the Los Angeles area. And they're going to be going from Hollywood Burbank to a bunch of different hubs in the American West. But the reason we're talking about it is their prices are amazing right now. So this could be, flying a velo could be a way to get around that region of the country soon. And maybe they'll have the same type of effect and and, uh, reach eventually as a Southwest that also started up kind of as an anti-establishment airline and eventually became, the establishment became much bigger. But it's... uh, it's fascinating. Now, one thing they're doing that I don't really like is they're bringing in pretty lousy fees. Yeah, uh, that's how they believe do it. it or not. You can pay more to bring on a bag into the cabin than you'll pay for your entire ticket. <laughs> they're they're charging nineteen dollars on many flights right now between L.A. and Phoenix. L.A. and uh, the gateway to Yellowstone National Park, L.A. and a number of gateways in Oregon, just $19. But if you bring on your bag, it's another $35. (laughs) I don't know. It's like the European model. I think Europeans will go, so yeah, that's how cheap airlines work. It's sort of a new concept to Americans that, that, you know, you get this cheap, cheap base price, but anything you bring on adds to the cost to the point where it comes almost almost at the same price as, as, a, as a cheap flight on the other areas. Although they're starting out so low that they're nowhere near the prices, even with all these add-ons. And they, they're making you pay, I think it's $5 if you want an aisle seat, $5 if you want a window seat. So to get the best prices, you're going to be stuck in the middle seat. But still, the prices are, in many cases, a third of what the other airlines are charging. So and a lot even of the flights are direct, they, they don't stop, which is decreasingly the case. You know, when the mainstream carriers have cut so many cities, they make you change planes four times. 
you can go from Southern California straight to Bozeman, Montana, or, or to Sonoma and wine country without having to change planes, which is terrific. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's really terrific. Some other things that we've covered, I have never been, but I've always heard that one of the most beautiful areas of the United States is actually off the coastline of the United States. It's called the, it's an archipelago called the San Juan Islands. It's off the state of Washington. And this is, they almost sound idenic in that they have temperate temperatures all year round. They get half as much rain as Seattle does. Uh, They have the last remaining actual intact prairies there in the entire Pacific Northwest. And they have a fascinating history, both Native American and colonial. Uh, On the colonial side, in the 1850s, Jason, had you ever heard about the Pig War before? I had distantly heard about it, but you had to talk about it. It's so interesting. Well, the Pig War happened when on one of the major islands, I think it was San Juan Island. I hope I'm getting that right. It could be Orcas Island. Uh, There were two military camps, uh, one British and one American, because at that time, this area was in dispute. And so they they had camps on both ends of the island, and they actually got along great. Apparently, they played cricket together. Uh, they, They did a lot of activities, the soldiers. But then one day, a pig got loose and started rooting in a garden, and it was killed by a soldier. And all hell broke loose. And it it escalated to the uh, extent that the British government sent three warships <laughs> into the region to because a, a pill a pig was uh, illegally killed. Now this was the time though when we weren't sure if Vancouver was going to end up being American or British. Though it was like there were other tensions right. happening at the same yes, time. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. But it was the pig that almost set up set off a war. As, that's and, usually the way wars go, you know. It's always the small thing that turns into the big thing. Well, you think of World War One with the Archduke the, Ferdinand, uh, yeah. Archduke, yeah, Archduke Ferdinand. That shouldn't have caused a war that big and that long, but it did. But if people uh, are hot enough, temperatures fly high. Yes, very true. So the reason I'm talking about the Pig War is on two of the islands, they have been working furiously to open new visitors centers uh, because though the islands are beautiful, uh, the folks who run both the national and the state parks that uh, exist in these islands always felt like the, the history of the islands and the geology and the ecology wasn't really being presented to visitors in a compelling manner. And so they raised the money and they've been working for years and they kept working through the pandemic. And this summer, they're going to be opening two new visitor centers that are, are finally going to give the island, the these islands, the depth of explanation that they need so that people who visit them have a much richer experience. I, I, I hope I get to go to one of them soon. I just They just sound like magical places. Uh, we put up a, uh, our colleague Zach did a lovely article about where to best see whales. If you want to go whale watching, what parts of the United States do you go to, and at what season? 
And I put this uh, article up on Fromers Roamers, which is kind of our private group on Facebook. You're all invited to join where people, I go on it, Jason goes on it, our staff goes on it, but more importantly, people all over the world go on it to answer other travelers' questions. And so I put the article up and I said, where have you had the best whale watching experiences? And the very first uh, answer I got was Friday Harbor, which is in the San, San Juan Islands. The guy said that he was sitting on the shore and was watching this pod of whales just breaching and cavorting. And it was extraordinary. He didn't even have to get on a boat. Although you do have to get on a boat to go there. He, he did take a boat at one point in his visit, but not to see the whales. He could just see those from the shore. Yeah, I need to go to that part of the, of the country. I've, I've been to Victoria on Vancouver Island. I've been to Seattle. In between the two is where all these islands are. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Jason, it's always such a delight speaking with you. Did I miss anything we were going to speak about? You know what? There's always next week. Okay. We will we will hold it off for next week. And I have another guest coming. His name is Larry Blyberg, and I'll introduce him in the next segment. Thanks, Jason. Thanks. Our next guest is Larry Blyberg. And if you read a lot of travel, you may know that name. And that's not to say you're old, Larry. It's that you are a very distinguished, widely published travel writer, and you've been writing for USA for about a decade. Uh, And a, a recent article of yours caught my eye. It's called 10 Great Motorcycle Routes Across the Across America that offer great social distancing. So first of all, welcome to the Frommer Travel Show, Larry. Oh, it's great to be with you, Pauline. And I have to say distinguished still sounds old, so I'm oh. a little wary here. But <laughs> no, it's, it's, um, let's go ahead. It's, it's okay. great to connect and, and talk. Well, I wanted to talk to you about this, not because I thought that many of our listeners are motorcycle riders, although I might be wrong about that. Who knows? Uh, But I would think a great motorcycle route would also be uh, just a great driving route. And and I know a lot of people are interested in doing road trips this summer. So what makes a great motorcycle route? And am I right? Would one of those routes be really good just in a regular car too? Oh, Pauline, you were reading my mind when I did this story. Um, You're absolutely right. I thought the same thing. There's lots of people with motorcycles, but so many more of us that drive. These are great routes, whether you're on the back of a Harley, whether you're in a convertible, which would be so much fun, or whether you're in a minivan. I mean, it's just, these are great. They're scenic, they're um, windy, they're curvy. There's plenty of things to stop and do along the way. It's, It's one of those things where, the going is the goal. It's not about getting to the end. It's just enjoying the ride in a, a literal sense. Right, right. So would these routes take a week or are they shorter than that? I mean, what 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 were you thinking of when you were putting these together? I was, th- and we do cover um, a variety. We do something that you could finish in an hour or two. And then there's stuff that you could take days to do and just and love doing it. Um, there are routes that go all the way down the, the Appalachians. There's, I don't even mention the Natchez Trace. That's another great one from Nashville down through Mississippi. These are 
um, national parks that go on for hundreds of miles, but you could also just do one in an hour, an hour and a half and, and have a great time doing that too. Right. So you are, I know you are located in Virginia. What's, what's the closest one to you? Oh my goodness. On a pretty day like today, I should be out there and not talking <laughs> to you. It's like an, an hour. I'm about maybe 45 minutes from um, Skyline Drive in Shenandoah National Park. Oh. And Skyline Drive is this ridge hugging drive. Sky, Shenandoah National Park is a linear park. It's about a hundred miles long hmm. and Skyline Drive runs the whole length of it along the ridges of the Shenandoah mountains. And it is a stunner. It just, every turn there are dozens and dozens of overlooks. So every turn you want to stop and take another view and peek and another view that seems more beautiful than the last. And it's, um, it, it is a great at any time of year in this time of year, particularly it'd be wonderful. The nice thing about that route, let's say you do that hundred miles, you right. love it. Right. It connects immediately to the Blue Ridge Parkway, which goes on for another 400 plus, wow. 469 miles, all the way down to um, to North Carolina, where it connects to the Smoky Mountains, where there are even more rides. Um, so you could just go, continue going for days. And the nice thing, this isn't the way to do it if you want, you're in a hurry, because the speed limit is 35, generally 35 miles an hour. So you're taking your time, but you have plenty of time to enjoy the scenery and nobody's, you're not going to have trucks behind you sure. and, you know, people honking. It's just, you're just, you're just out there in nature and enjoying these roads that were designed to be, they were literally designed to be scenic. Hmm. And so when you're off the road, because if you're going to drive for say a week, you're not going to spend all your time in the car. What is there to do? Do people fish? Do they people whitewater raft? I mean, what are the activities? Oh goodness! You can just do uh, the whole um, the whole spectrum of activities. Now it's. Um, the, the easiest and the most fun thing I think to do is just to get out and take a hike. I mean, there, there literally are trailheads off to each side. There's also um, antiques. There's there's um, small towns to jump into, and of course you can do all those other things. You can raft at the northern end. You can raft in Shenandoah River toward the southern end. If you go all the way down the Blue Ridge Parkway, you can be in some incredible white water in North Carolina, mm. and you're all near this area. One route that is sort of connects to this, it's a whole other one, but it's it has such a great name. I just want to talk about it. It's called, um, okay, oh, it's down near the Smoky Mountains. It's called the Tale of the Dragon, which is, I mean, how can you, it, you've got great marketing wow. there, but it's, most people say it's one of the best routes um, that to drive anywhere, uh, anywhere in the country. It has 318 curves and 11 miles. Wow. So I don't know who counted those curves, but maybe 317, maybe 320, but there's a lot of zooming back and forth. And it's just a dream on a motorcycle or a sports car. Right. But not a dream, I would think, if you get uh, car sick. <laughs> it, it sounds kind yes, of hellish need, to me. <laughs> well, you need to self-select. That's a good point. Right, right. But if you really love zooming around curves, I guess that's for you. You also picked one in northern Michigan that I actually have been on, uh, and it's gloriously beautiful. Technically, you are on M119, but that's kind of boring. You were driving the Tunnel of Trees is what mm -hmm. it's called. And that is in a pretty part of Michigan, as you well know. It's in the northern part, up near Traverse Bay, overlooking Lake Michigan. And um, it's it's got scenes. It's only about 16 miles, so it's not a long ride, but it's certainly a memorable one. 
Do you, do you, what are your recollections? I I remember hearing it was called the Tunnel of Trees and I had gone from another part of state to it. And I could tell immediately when I was on it because suddenly, yes, there were trees overarching the, the highway, not the highway, the road on both sides. And I remember stopping at this really fascinating little roadhouse that I think is also very famous with um, a lot of Native American Native American artifacts all over the place to look at. It just was a really intriguing part of the country, very rural, incredibly pretty with the Great Lakes. It's, it's, just, a, it's just one of my favorites. Uh, okay, so for the West Coast, what do you recommend? Well, I think most people think I'm going to say Highway 1 and, you know, the California dream yeah. experience, a big sur. But we're not talking about that. Is that I, not good on a motorcycle? Is that why you didn't decide oh, to put great, it Oh, it's great. But I wanted to do something. I don't want to do <laughs> you wanted, obvious. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's uh, the historic Columbia River Highway in mm. Oregon, which comes out of Portland. And it was really one of the nation's first purpose-built scenic highways. And it was built to be experienced on um, on a motorized vehicle. Um, it's a 75-mile route, and it just sort of goes along the Columbia River with great views of Mount Hood, which, as you know, in Oregon, on a pretty day, it just looms over you wherever yeah. you are in the state. It seems like it does. And what I love is I remember flying into um, Portland. A friend picked me up at the airport, and instead of going into the city, he took me on this highway, and like 20 minutes later, we're at um, Multnomah Falls. He just pulls off a, the side of the road, and it looks like a waterfall out of a fantasy movie. Wow. And it's multi-levels. There's hiking paths going up and down, sort of twisting through it. It's just right there as, as built in as a stop on this on this highway, and you have these kind of views and experiences all along the do you way. have uh, do you have wine tasting options along this road? Because I know the Willamette Valley is very famous for Pinot, Pinot Noir. Does that is is the is that along the road or or you don't know? That is not along the huh. road, though. I'm sure there's wine everywhere these days. I bet somebody is playing a grapevine somewhere right. along this road. So, not that but, I want to encourage anybody to drink and drive. That's not what I'm saying. But you know, it's it's a nice activity when you get off the road. Oh, for sure. Yeah, and that's part of it. I mean, you enjoy being on the on in the car on the motorcycle but you also want a chance to get out and explore as you said yeah now before i let you go a selfish question for those of us in the northeast i'm i'm in new york city where should i get in my car and tootle off to because I won't be well, on a no, motorcycle we're, gonna, uh, we're getting you in the back of the Harley Paul no you're not going <laughs> to um, it's actually an embarrassment of riches you're going to have to go north to new england but there's so many great great routes up there remember i just was doing 10 there are you can just pick from hundreds of sure. ones um three of them i'm going to mention quickly is um let's start starting north um the mohawk trail was it was a native american trade route and now i love that it's a motorcycle route it's and i think it's been really kind of promoted as a tourism destination well, my mother used to go there. As mm. I said, I don't think she was on a motorcycle. If she was, it may be one of those stories my mom didn't tell me. <laughs> but it, it's always an area that is very scenic. The best section is 69 miles between North Adams and Greenfield. And wow. It's, and a, it's and very, North, North Adams is where that fabulous contemporary art museum is, isn't it? Oh, yeah. There's lots of great stuff in that area. Yeah. This is up in the Berkshires area, and there's there's great stuff to see. So from there, 
one of the prettiest places um, to go up in is to, up in New Hampshire. I'm taking you along into the White Mountains, mm. and it's the Kankamagus Highway. But it's the Kank to everybody in the area. You get on the Kank. <laughs> is that and a Native is, American word, Kankamagus? Yeah, he was an, an Indian chief in the 17th century. Oh. Um, and there's really no distractions here except for the scenery. You're not going to find stores or food or gas stations. Mm-hmm. It's a road through the mountains that wasn't even paved into the 1960s. Wow. Um, it could take you maybe three hours to do it, but you, you want to take your time. It's just about 35 miles, 34 and a half miles. Um, and the main route. And it's, and then the last area, and then I wanted is um, that I want to mention up in that, that area is um, Route 100 in Vermont. It's in the center of the state in the Green Mountains. And all of these rides, all, pretty much all of them that I'm talking about here are stunning in the fall. Sure. So, I, mean, I want to get people out traveling next week in this summer. But if you can't do all of these this, you know, this summer, think of them in the fall because the fall color there. I, I don't need it's off the charts. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And these, frankly, these ro- these roads are taking you right into the heart of it. Yeah. Uh, the great thing about Route 100 is, you know, man, man and woman cannot live on motorcycle riding alone. You need to have, you're, you're not getting your, the fuel from the, um, from the gas tank. You need to fill your own gas tank and Ben and Jerry's is up. <laughs> so stop at that factory in Waterbury. Yeah. Get a little chunky monkey, get some Cherry Garcia. And I mean, how perfect could your day be at that point? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you're right next to Stowe, Vermont, which is one of my favorite New England towns because it looks like a New England town. It has <laughs> one of those white churches with the with the soaring spire at the top. And it's kind of nestled in a valley with huge mountains all around. And you think, wow, I am in New England. This is New England. Exactly. And you can just come in on your bike and come right into it. And um it's, I mean, it's a wonderful way to travel and um, there are beautiful ways to, to, to experience it. And as I said, the go, this, this is very much that the trip is as much of a, a destination as the destination itself, just yeah. enjoying the road as you go along. And as you said, socially distanced, that's still important. Well, Larry, it's always such a delight speaking with you. Thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. It's great talking and um, talking with you, Pauline, and hope to see you soon. That's it for this week's show. I hope you all are having a good week, getting vaccinated, making travel plans. It finally feels like there really is light at the end of this tunnel and the light isn't fading in and out like it has been for the last year when it looked like there was hope and then things squelched it. I hope I'm not being overly optimistic by saying I think we all will be on the road soon And so, you know, I should have talked about this in the show. I'll talk about it now. Uh, We have an article up on Fromers.com about why it's so important that if you are planning to travel in the coming months, especially the summer months, that you start booking things now. Booking your airfare because airfares have gone up 5% just in the last couple of weeks more on certain routes. A lot of hotels, especially at places like the national parks and near outdoor and nature areas, they are selling out for the summer months. A lot of uh, vacation home rentals are already gone, but to me, that's not as 
important because while I want you to book right now to get the best price, it's just as important that you get a product that is refundable and changeable. If there's anything we've all learned in the last year is that life can change on a dime. And so don't buy any travel product that you can't get fully refunded. So in terms of airfares, that means maybe paying a little more and not getting the basic economy ticket. Because the basic economy ticket has so many rules, a fees attached to it that if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. Whereas every other class of ticket now on every major airline, if you can't fly for some reason and for whatever reason that may be, you will be able to change that ticket and prob- or probably get your money back or at least change that ticket really on airfares. With hotels, you can make the reservations, but you won't have to pay usually until you get to the hotel or 24 hours in advance, which seems fair. And most importantly, rental cars. As we've discussed on this show before, there is a terrible shortage of rental cars across the United States right now because a lot of the major companies culled their fleets to try and stay liquid at the height of the pandemic. And now there's a worldwide shortage of car manufacturing or that there's a slowdown in car manufacturing because there aren't enough semiconductors. So this isn't going to go away anytime soon. So one of the pieces of advice, I should have said this earlier, is when you're looking for a vacation that may include a rental car, I would say before you look at airfares, before you look at lodgings, before you look at attractions, see if you can get a decently priced rental car, because that's going to be the thing this year that blows up people's budgets. All right. That's it for me. I am always so grateful that you let me blather on like this. I hope you'll visit us at fromers.com. We're doing our darndest to really be the site you can go to right now to get the lowdown on travel, because unlike so many other travel websites, we aren't in bed with the companies we cover. You know, we're not influencers. We are journalists and we don't take money uh, from the companies we cover. So when you come to us, you're, you're getting straightforward advice. Our listeners and our readers are our only client. All right, I'm going to stop there. To those who are traveling, may I wish you a hearty bon voyage. See you next week. <music>